0: Chapter 4. The Mind of Christ The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6-8 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 2:16. Doing it ourselves. I have four children. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard them tell me from toddlerhood to the present. I'll do it myself. When you're a kid with no responsibilities, control feels attractive. Kids want to take control and prove themselves. This doesn't really change in adulthood and it's one of the greatest strengths and weaknesses of the human race. Through bearing God's image, we are capable of amazing things, and God wants us to do those things with independence, like any parent would. Yet, in our sinful condition of depravity, we often say, I'll do it myself, for the wrong reasons. We say it out of a desire for control, or to win power, or approval. When this is motivated by a selfish and untrusting pride or fear, it is sinful. The result of this sinful sort of independence is worldliness. Two areas where humanity is prone to wrongly tell God, I'll do it myself, are moral knowledge and spiritual understanding. The Bible tells us that God's loving gift of knowledge was the point at which our relationship with Him first broke apart. What was the first sin? Adam and Eve tried to steal the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 3. It was forbidden fruit for a good reason. It wasn't just that God was saving it for His lunch. Sometimes people think that God wanted to keep humanity dumb and innocent in that garden forever. If not, why wouldn't He have given them that tree already? How could God think people could be happy having everything except knowledge? Many ancient mythologies include tales in which the gods are holding out on humans, not giving them good things. In Greek mythology, for example, Zeus punished the titan Prometheus for stealing fire, which may believe signified knowledge, to bring it to mankind. The gods were stingy and jealous. But in the Bible the man and woman got the idea that God was stingy from the snake, and we have been buying into the snake's logic ever since. We are prone to believe that God was withholding that knowledge from humanity because he was jealous and threatened by what we could become. The serpent said, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, verse 5. This claim wasn't just false, it was a profound perversion and reversal of the truth. In reality, it was God's design all along that we would be like Him in this way. The purpose of creation and redemption was always for us to receive the very thing the snake claimed God was withholding. Even the doctrine of damnation assumes we are meant to embody God's moral knowledge and are created for everlasting life. Paul put it this way, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24. He's saying that the point of redemption was recreation, to get us back to our original created purpose. That purpose is that we were created to be like God in righteousness and holiness, in knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. So why didn't God just give us that knowledge right away? The answer requires a distinction that the snake was side-slithering, Side-stepping for the rest of us to god knowing doesn't mean just to be aware of something it's more than familiarity it means having something in the bones of your character attitude and behavior that kind of knowledge takes time a human body can be created in a moment or in nine months but character needs to be forged over time just as humans develop character through their lives it apparently needed to be developed in adam and eve The first step of fashioning godly character is trust, and teaching trust was the reason God withheld a single tree, while giving them access to everything else. Growing in the Garden After God's initial creation of the world, the Bible shows His relationship with humanity continuing to develop. In Genesis 1, God makes men and women in His image and gives them His whole creation to subdue and rule over. Yet, in the next chapter, God suddenly narrows the scope to something tiny by comparison. He makes a garden for them. We already know from chapter 1 that this isn't some permanent zoo exhibit. Humanity is meant to dig in and cultivate life, and God is preparing them to spread out and do so all over the world. We are meant to see the garden as an environment for the process of development. It's what people would later call a home. In this home, God makes the man out of the dirt. He gives the man a job, subduing, and teaches him to name things, taking dominion. He lets the man sense his need for a different kind of companion. Only then does God make the woman, and the man rejoices over her with all her similarities and differences. Then, before they are sent to tend the world, they are to tend this special garden God planned. God is walking with them through a process of learning, growing, and developing. It's a process with change, responsibility, practice, authority, and relationships. This is how we get to the tree. God created the world and fashioned it through a process in the first chapter of Genesis. Then the second chapter shows Him creating and developing humans. The man has been working and has taken his place of leadership in creation by naming all the animals. God has created the woman for the man and made a true complementary union to rule and bless the world. Now has come the time for God to reveal his character to mankind, and he begins with the most basic revelation. You must trust the trustworthy one. Without trust, truth is either lost or misused. God tells them explicitly that the result of stealing the fruit will be certain death. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. The humans can either steal the knowledge of good and evil, or trust God to give it in his own time and in his own way. This is where the serpent comes in. Humanity's first parents chose to steal that knowledge, and knowledge without trust has been poisoning us ever since. Adam and Eve were already doing science. Adam was learning and recognizing all the plants and animals and coming to understand the world of God's creation as soon as they created the first family, they were doing sociology. But when it came to spiritual and moral knowledge, God demanded that they trust Him to supply it. Though the basic moral truths of the world are burned into our consciences, human beings can never be fully formed in righteousness and holiness without this trust, no matter how much knowledge we acquire. As a result, we now exist in a state in which we cannot see the beauty of God's moral and spiritual truths, Yet we're haunted in our conscience by the guilt of those truths we can't not know. When it comes to the knowledge of good and evil, it turns out we can't acquire or invent it by ourselves, and we were never meant to. This knowledge comes only through trusting God and knowing Him down to our bones by believing His revelation. The Mind of Christ In 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul says something about Christians that can be kind of confusing but is really quite direct. We have the mind of Christ. That's in chapter 2, verse 16b. What does that really mean, and why is it so important? He is contrasting the gospel with what he calls eloquence or human wisdom, chapter 2, verse 1. That is, he is contrasting the mind of Christ with the wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, chapter 2, verse 6 he starts the passage with a very simple argument. Did any of them recognize Jesus as the rightful ruler and as God's wisdom? No, none of them did. Not the religious leaders, not the professional academics, not the political leaders. They all participated in crucifying him. Jesus' work in the cross and resurrection is what Paul is talking about in the famous verse, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. The thing God has prepared for those who love Him is the eternal Son, who became the man Jesus, the one who was killed on a cross and buried, but who rose to life and ascended. There is a reason they didn't recognize Him. Blinding people to truth is God's response to their unwillingness to know Him through trusting His revelation. Paul says a few verses earlier for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 21. This is God's wise way of dealing with foolish people who think they can be wise on their own, which is all of us. He built certain basic moral truths into our consciousness. So there are things that we can't not know. That way, we can never plead ignorance. Conscience is enough for us to know that we are guilty, and enough for us to know many things that we should do rightly. Scripture even says all humanity knows enough to know that there is a Creator to whom we should be thankful, Romans 1, verses 18 and 20. However, even when humanity puts together all its mental and moral resources, it still doesn't believe and trust God. Without that trust, it cannot recognize what the only wise God is. Consequently, it cannot recognize Christ, who is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24 Just as the worldly thinkers and rulers didn't anticipate or recognize Jesus as king when he displayed and spoke real wisdom, so now the world does not see or recognize the gospel as the ultimate revelation of the wisdom of God. Christ is the embodiment of that wisdom, literally. And believing in Him and in the gospel is what Paul calls wisdom among the mature, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Therefore, in order to know the wisdom of God, we have to recognize Jesus and the gospel as the power and wisdom of God is what God has prepared for those who love Him, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Or, to summarize as he does in the final verse of the chapter, we need to have the mind of Christ, chapter 2, verse 16b. It is the only way we can experience god recreating and redeeming us into christ's righteousness and holiness which is what god intended for us from the start ephesians chapter 4 verses 21 through 24 it is the only way we can receive the knowledge of good and evil into our character by trusting him a spirit within us so why can't the worldly really know god's wisdom on the level of spiritual substance Why can't we really know these truths, the knowledge of good and evil, by ourselves? We get two answers in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. First, there's a morality to knowing. In fact, the Bible argues that the biggest problem with humans failing to know the truth is not that we can't find it, but that we don't want to find it. This is the one most profound hypocrisies of the entire human race. We say we're seeking the truth, yet we never obey the truth we already have. And we ingeniously avoid the truths we don't want to find. How can we be honestly seeking the truth when we don't even trust the truths we can't avoid? Psalm 19 says that all of the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible argues that if we don't know that God exists, it's not because He is profoundly hidden, it's because we don't want to know that God exists. We don't want to know that He deserves our thanks. We don't want to know that we are created in His image and are therefore responsible to live in accordance with the spiritual and moral beauty of that image. And we don't want to know that if we reject these truths, we can and must be held dramatically accountable for refusing them because we bear His divine image. We can't consciously find and love a truth that we are also semi-consciously avoiding so intensely. Most importantly, though, We can't have spiritual substance without the mind of Christ, because the mind of Christ isn't a philosophy, it's a divine mentality. It isn't like knowing God's attributes or tendencies, it includes an understanding of God's purposes and His will. Knowing God is knowing a personal being who chooses and acts. It's one thing to understand human biology, it's another thing to be able to tell what another person is thinking, or to recognize his handiwork. Similarly, it's one thing to philosophize something about God's being, and another to think you know what He's thinking, what He likes, and why He does what He does. To know what someone is thinking, feeling, or planning, you have to be inside His or her head. But how could you possibly get inside God's head? Paul's answer God's Spirit is in His head, and He reveals the mind of Christ to us. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-12 through 12. This is the point. God has revealed Himself. That revelation is the only way to know the mind of God. It is the only way to know good and evil, how they function in the world, and how God is acting to bring redemption to us and to all creation. He has already spoken in His written word, but He has already displayed His mind in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and by His Spirit He has overcome our denial of their true meaning. All of these things, written revelation, the history of salvation among the Jews, the coming and work of Christ, and the present spiritual revelation of God's Spirit to ours, are God's free gifts to a humanity that wants to do it themselves, but can't. The Spiritual Mind and the Mind of Christ Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 2 like this, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 For those who have received the Spirit's revelation of God's wisdom in Christ, everything has changed. We can know what to do, make judgments, in any situation. But since our judgments are based in a knowledge the world can't know without the Spirit revealing Christ, they are not subject to the world's approval, not subject to merely human judgments. They will consider our actions foolish and often wicked, but they are not in charge of judging us anymore. The second part of this verse is built on a double meaning of the word mind. Have you ever heard someone say, I have a mind to... The word mind can refer to someone's will, or to everything they know, or simply to their ability to be conscious. The prophet Isaiah was right. No one can possibly know the whole mind of the Lord, and therefore be able to correct and instruct God. Neither a spiritual man nor a worldly one can do that, but we can know by the Spirit what God has a mind to do, what His character is like, and what the gospel of Christ really means. That is, we can understand good and evil in a way that changes us and enables us to apply it as wise and righteous stewards of God's world. Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteous holiness and redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 Through revealing this Christ to us, the Spirit recreates us to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24b we can know His wisdom, we can have the mind of Christ, we can find the true knowledge that forms the spiritual substance for which we were created and redeemed. A Spiritual Flop Do you know what comes right after this deep theological explanation in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3 through three. That doesn't sound good. These are folks who have received Christ's Spirit but they aren't really looking all that spiritual. What they look like is worldly. There is terrible and bitter arguing. There is leader favoritism. There is sexual immorality. People are suing each other. Leaders are too tolerant to confront open sin. People are getting trashed at church dinners. And the middle class and wealthy are doing things that humiliate the poor. Some Christians are eating feasts, venerating pagan gods at the pagan temples. They're misusing the spiritual gifts, using them to show off rather than to love and strengthen people. Some people are forbidding marriage, and men are going to prostitutes like they always have. Others think they shouldn't give financially to support world missions. This spiritual church is incredibly worldly. So how is this possible if they have the mind of Christ and the Spirit? These people believed in Jesus. They loved Paul and had a church. What gives? It turns out having Christ in mind isn't the same as having the mind of Christ. We can change our minds about Christ in an instant, but it takes time for Christ to transform our minds to think like His. That process was God's intention in creation. How can we grow in submission by being transformed in the mind of Christ? A Transformation of the Mind By far the most well-known Bible verses on this subject are Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. The process of transformation starts with worship. When we trust in God's good and truthful mercy, we will offer our whole selves to Him. That is worship. We want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to please Him. But sacrifices in the Old Testament were for specific things and had to be offered in carefully prescribed ways. They had to be offered according to His instructions, in line with His will and on the basis of His commands. He was teaching the people what he was like about his holiness, and therefore what pleased him. So if we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, how do we do it in a way that we know is truthfully and trustfully spiritual? How do we learn what is holy and therefore pleasing to God? What is our target, and at what are we aiming? These verses say holy worship aims at two things. One, stop conforming to the world. Two, renew our minds to understand God's will. Second, we also need to have our minds renewed so that we can test, know, and personally approve of God's will. We can't just believe in God. We have to learn to appreciate deeply the goodness of His mind, the beauty of His plan, and the nobility of all His work. We need to feel a deep and devoted approval toward God's will. We need not only to see it, but to love it. Practicing the Mind of Christ How do we get there? Do we just open ourselves to the Spirit and worship God? Yes. Should we just try to please God? Right, except without the word just. Worship helps us actively trust God with our minds. The first lesson of human formation in the knowledge of good and evil. Obedience forces us to face whether we really believe what we say we do. Obedience is also a process of discovery. Some things make more sense when we do them and taste their fruit through many years. John 7:17. 7, Yet this is not the main work God has given to us concerning the transformation of our minds. The mind of Christ develops when we think on Christ and the message of the gospel. This is the focus of the rest of 1 Corinthians. Paul takes all of the worldly dysfunction of that church and shows us how to rethink them in relation to Christ and the gospel. Similarly, the famous passage from Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes after 12 chapters about Jesus and what His work as the Christ means in the universe and for us. In a different letter, Paul says it this way, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-3. through In shooting, to hit anything, you have to be oriented to a specific target. To aim your character at something is to set your heart on it. It's to aim your mind, will, and strength at a specific goal. Paul is explaining how to get the mind of Christ. You have to actively and consistently set your heart and set your mind on Christ and the things with Him that are your life while being dead to worldliness. This is the target, the prize, the summit, the goal, the focus of all our spiritual attention. In another letter, while he's talking about humility, love, compassion, and the virtues of spiritual substance, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 1-5 through 5. Paul starts and ends the verses with Christ, his character, and the effects and meaning of his salvation. He talks about our spiritual union with Christ, then talks about Jesus' attitude at the end. The verses that follow are all about considering Jesus' example, how He made Himself nothing, obeyed the Father, emptied Himself of His rights, suffered on the cross, and created reconciliation for everyone, and that His humility and service is why God the Father exalted Him to the highest place. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7-9. through 9. Do you see that how should we think about unity love reconciliation ambition and humility we do it by setting our minds and hearts on what it means to be united with christ and his spirit and on the humility of jesus in his life and death on the rightness nobility and beauty of these things we see and believe that this is why the god of true righteousness and holiness exalts anyone and why Jesus himself did this work with joy. We can't do it by ourselves. The mind of Christ can only come by God's generosity, by grace. Only the Spirit of God knows the mind of God, and is able to make it known to us in Christ. We are invited to a work that God will not allow to fail. He will not just support your purpose in it. Don't forget, this was always his purpose— He has desired to teach us real wisdom since creation. He always wanted to give us knowledge of good and evil. Embracing the practice of setting our minds and hearts on Christ is the means He has appointed to show us. This is how we offer our hearts, minds, and bodies to Him as spiritual sacrifices. Romans 12.1 All we need in order to have the mind of Christ is present in Jesus. He shows us the meaning of all creation, all the knowledge of good and evil. It is all there, everything we need to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Or, to say it another way, My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Colossians 2 verses 2 through 4. He is not saying that all real knowledge is religious knowledge. He is saying that seeing Christ allows us to see everything else as it is, to have the full riches of complete understanding. God wants us to see all that is in creation through the mind of the redeeming Creator King. He wants the wealth of our wisdom to be full and complete This canopy of wisdom is not just a shelter that preserves our lives or a force that makes us loving toward our neighbor. It's also the true and dazzling fresco of the universe, a satisfying taste of the true glory of God.